Space, the final frontier. This is the Observer's Notebook, the official podcast of the Association of Lunar and Planetary Observers. Its mission to explore the solar system, to seek out new observations and data, to boldly go where no podcast has gone before. And now the host of the Observer's Notebook, Tim Robertson. Hello and welcome to the Observer's Notebook, the official podcast for the Association of Lunar and Planetary Observers. I'm Tim Robertson, your host of the podcast and also the coordinator of the training program within the ALPO. The Association of Lunar and Planetary Observers is an international organization devoted to the study of the sun, moon, planets, asteroids, meteors, and comets. Our goals are to stimulate, coordinate, and generally promote the study of these bodies using methods and instruments that are available within the communities of both amateur and professional astronomers. The Association of Lunar and Planetary Observers collects and analyzes observations of various solar system bodies and associated phenomenon, and publishes those in, with detailed reports in the quarterly publication, the Journal of the Association of Lunar and Planetary Observers, otherwise known as the Strolling Astronomer. This podcast depends upon donations from you, our listeners, to keep it alive. If you enjoy what you hear on the Observer's Notebook, you can donate it to it via Patreon by giving as little as $1 a month. If you feel even more generous, for $5 you receive early access to the podcast before it goes public. For a monthly donation of $10, you receive a copy of the Novice Observer's Handbook. And for $35 a month, you will receive producer credits on the podcast. You can help us out by going to www.patreon.com slash Observer's Notebook. A reminder, the Association of Lunar and Planetary Observers maintains many individual observing sections and programs devoted to the study of various solar system bodies and phenomenon. Each is managed by one or more coordinators that collect and study the submitted observations. If you would like to join the ALPO, you can for as little as $14 a year. For more information, you can visit us on the internet at www.alpo-astronomy.org. And now, The Observer's Notebook. All right, I'd like to welcome everybody back to the Observer's Notebook podcast. Our special guest today is Brian Kudnick. He's the coordinator of the Lunar Meteoric Impact Search Section of the ALPO. Welcome to the podcast, Brian. Oh, thank you very much. Why don't you give everybody a little background about yourself before we get started? Okay, um, I um, actually have been in astronomy, been interested in astronomy for most of my life, and I'm more of a planetary type myself, but I do like all forms of astronomy. Um, I got into the lunar meteoritic impact scene about 18, little over 18 years ago um, when an opportunity arose to observe the Leonids impacting the moon in November of 1999. And so I participated and actually saw one visually, um, and that literally sparked a new interest in such phenomena. So well, what did that look like? It looked like a star. It looked like a, a, a fairly bright star um, that popped in and out really quickly. It was so quick it was almost surreal, but it was bright enough to be um, seen that I didn't have any doubt that there was something going on. Now, what, this was what, being, what do you mean okay. a bright star? You saw it streak across the moon. Actually, what it looked like, I was observing this with a 14-inch uh, Cassegrain. At 98 magnific 98 uh, power, mm -hmm. uh, 98 times magnification, 
and I was focusing on the dark earthlit part of the waxing gibbous moon. Um, a few days after first quarter, the dark part is still very faintly illuminated by the Earth as seen through the telescope. So placing the bright part of the moon out of the field of view, I was able to focus on the dark part. And so it didn't streak or anything. It was a point source. It was a point of light. It was uh, orangish yellow in color, about the, about the same brightness as a fourth, third, third or fourth magnitude star as seen through a um, uh, C-14, um, appeared and disappeared really quickly. Wow, so you were looking at the right place at the right time. Right, and I didn't blink either. That's amazing, but you you didn't uh, have a camera attached at the time or anything either. I didn't have a camera attached, but people from IOTA, the International Occultation Timing Association, um, there were several people that were uh, videotaping the moon at the same time, and David Dunham, who was then president Mm -hmm. of IOTA, um, was recording that part of the moon and um, video recorded it, which confirmed it. Oh, that's fantastic. Mm-hmm. So you don't have a old age floater going in your eye. It's, it was an actual impact. I, yeah, I do have floaters, but not like that. <laughs> not like that. Okay. Well, that's fantastic. I get, that would get you interested in this type of uh, study. What? Tell us a little bit more about yourself. So I um, work at a university, um, part of the professional staff, but I do a number of um, different things from teaching physical science classes to managing the labs to helping with the administrative and registration details. Um, of um, our department. This is uh, chemistry and physics. I'm on the physics side, and um, I've been here for actually a little over 18 years now. So, And I'm unofficially considered the resident astronomer since the other people here in the department are more um, uh, physics, physicist-type people and not so much astronomy types. What university? Prairie View A&M University, and people probably have not heard of that, but they have heard of the Texas A&M University. Prairie View A&M is part of the system of universities that's called the Texas A&M system. Oh, okay. All right. So you've been doing this for about 18 years, you said? Right. Okay. What type of observing equipment do you have currently? Um, Currently I have an 11-inch on loan from work. Um, I have a, um, a low-light video camera and a uh, um, video time inserter. Um, I, I've been doing this more or less off and on, um, you know, being busy with work and mm-hmm. writing a few books and so forth along the way um, has made my own participation in this rather irregular. As a matter of fact, I haven't really done much observing lately myself. I'm hoping to get back into it you now if I get a chance. Um, but I've been busy with working with the, uh, being an editor of an encyclopedia of lunar science that Springer um, is um, working on publishing through me. I'm serving as editor of this uh, of this piece. So I've been kept busy with a lot of other things um, in recent years, but I still coordinate the uh, section um, in ALPO. And so basically I send out um, email reminders and observing plans every quarter, um, outlining the plans of what we want to look for or when we want to observe um, and so forth. Now, you're, you mentioned your two books. I believe they're the Lunar Meteoroid Impact and How to Observe Them and also Correct. Faint Objects and How to Observe Them. Correct. Are those both currently available, like from Amazon? They are available. They can be per- purchased through Amazon.com. Mm-hmm. Okay, great. Great. Good little plug for you there. Now, right. I, I guess later you also... Um, set up a network of astronomers to monitor the uh, uh, rocket booster crashing on the moon? Right. 
Um, and I believe you're thinking of the uh, Lunar Reconnaissance Orbiter, the LRO, the uh, L-Cross. Right. Um, and it was followed by the Lunar Reconnaissance Orbiter, which is actually still in orbit around the moon to this date, sending back really spectacular images. Yeah, we did look for um, um, the plume of impact, but none of us really saw anything from the ground. Um, even the professional observatories didn't really see anything. It was only viewed by the, um, uh, if I remember the correct configuration correctly, um, the L-Cross satellite followed a um, rocket booster that first impacted and then allowed the um, um, L-Cross to image it and also take a little bit of spectrum um, sampling of the plume as it itself uh, followed it in and impacted on the lunar surface. And then um, LRO, I believe, was also observing this as well. So, But the plume, even from orbit, if I remember correctly, um, was rather faint and needed some um, enhancement in order to bring it up. But it was found to contain um, water, as we know. So. Yeah. yeah, that's very interesting. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. When did the astronomy bug first hit you? How old were you? What caused it? Uh, I would say I was about six or seven. Okay. So... And any any particular astronomical event or? I can't think of any particular event that got me into it. I just rem remember being into it for as long as I remember. Um, I do remember um, looking um, for the partial phase of the 1979 February 26th total total solar eclipse. It was partial from where I was living. Mm -hmm. um, it was cloudy that day, so I couldn't. That that would delay my first solar eclipse by five years. Because yeah. after after the uh, 1979 event, the next one that was visible from my location was 1984, which I did see um, as a partial, okay. May 30th. Now, how did you get involved with the ALPL? Um, I got involved um, in the 90s. Um, I have been sketching planets um, since 1985, and um, I wanted to share um, these observations um, with an organization that would um, actually put them in the good views rather than just sitting in my notebook uh, on the shelf somewhere. And so I got involved with Richard Schmoody and others at ALPO um, and um, got familiar with the organization and what is needed to um, assemble observations and uh, submit it in the way that um, the format that they um, ask us to submit and I've been doing so ever since. As a matter of fact, I still submit on a regular basis uh, drawings of Jupiter um, for the Jupiter section. Oh, that's great. That's mm -hmm. great. Now, give us a little overview to the section that you are responsible for, the Lunar Meteoric Impact Search. Right. This is one of a handful of sections that uh, focus on the moon. Um, there are other sections such as special areas, um, lunar transient phenomena, um, rays, domes, etc., the one that I'm focusing on is specifically meteor, meteoroid impacts, um, which of course involves the um, collision of uh, meteoroids with the uh, lunar surface. Um, and so we focus on looking for the point flashes caused by the explosions and the expanding uh, vapor cloud of meteoroids that impact the dark part of the lunar surface. We're not able to see um, impacts on the sunlit side because of the uh, contrast, most of the impacts that do occur are not bright enough to be seen against the bright background, so we focus on the uh, dark um, hemisphere of the moon, the part that is darkest seen from the Earth, and um, we can have we have the contrast in order to be able to pick out these um, um, impacts more easily. Um, there have been occasional reports. I think um, I may have one or two reports of uh, people um, observing small plumes or other related phenomena 
um, but it's mostly um, been impact flashes, point flashes that last maybe two or three video frames. Now, do these uh, observation? I imagine you set up observation sessions, and they're usually coordinated with uh, meteor showers? Right. Um, we do have uh, two um, types of observations that I coordinate. Uh, one is the monthly routine observations that run every month from um, just about two or th- uh, three or four days after new moon to um, two days after first quarter. This is the waxing part of the uh, the waxing crescent part, which is the part of the phase cycle that is most favorable um, for observing lunar meteors. Um, and then I also coordinate, uh, there, there's also the uh, second half of this that runs from about two days before last quarter until the waning crescent is too low in the morning sky to be able to be observed um, effectively. Um, that's the waning portion. So that works out to about two weeks out of the month. Um, and then, of course, there are special um, um, special um, events that do take place during um, significant annual showers, such as the Perseids and the Geminids, when the moon is favorably placed in the evening sky. Um, for these, um, during these showers, when these showers are peaking, then I'll put out a special call for observations um, to help cover the moon during this time. Hmm. So, now, when it's peaking for us on Earth, is it peaking the same time for the moon? It depends on where the moon is at in its um, orbit. Um, if it's near first or last quarter, um, it's, it's about up to seven hours delay. Um, like, like uh, for example, in the evening sky, if the moon is first quarter, what would be a um, uh, peak, let's say, at 12 noon Eastern time? Um, by the time the moon got to that part of the filament of the meteoroid stream, it would be about 7 p.m. Um, Eastern time. Um, and if the moon is uh, closer to new, um, then the delay is less, considerably less. Okay, and you note that in the alerts that you put out, this would be the ideal time to look? Right. So the, yeah, when, the, when the rest of us are in our lounge chairs outside looking at the pretty meteors, you've got a group of people that are just looking at the moon, huh? Right. <laughs> That's great. Yeah. I like That's that. True. Yeah. That's a lot of fun. That sounds, yeah, I've, I've never never attempted that before. It sounds like something that would be... Interesting. And to do it, what type of equipment do you recommend? Um, I would recommend the telescope of at least an 8-inch aperture. Um, A 6-inch would work. Um, Something that is um, um, motor-driven so that it would track the moon at lunar rate preferably. Um, A low-light video camera um, and um, a way to capture the video um, would be something um, useful as well. I still have I still have a um, um, setup set that um, puts the data on VHS tapes. I'm in the process of oh upgrading that. What's a VHS so, um, tape? Yeah, it's a, I have the uh, combination TV um, VHS um, uh, player, um, the 11-inch TV VHS player. Um, I haven't had a chance to really upgrade that, um, but through uh, a granite uh, work, um, we're in the process of upgrading our observatory, and part of that will be to upgrade a, a system um, to um, more effectively monitor um, lunar meteoroid impacts. Now, the best way to do that um, with regards to um, having a system set up is to have something that you can record um, and have a time, a video time inserter of some sort that stamps the time, um, the universal time on the video, um, and then have that recorded digitally, either directly to a computer or to an external um, hard drive um, or to a, a DVD uh, recorder. Now, do all your contributors to your section uh, use video, or are there some visual? Um, pretty much they all use uh, video. 
I mean, I've had a few, some visuals, um, visual observers early on, um, but um, the um, um, great challenge that is involved with visually observing um, usually um, discourages many. Um, so they either go to video or um, move on to other things. So, but yeah, the vast majority that do observe, um, they do um, observe uh, with a, a video setup. Okay. Do you have a preference to to the type of video camera that, you, that people should use? Um, I don't have a preference myself. I know certain people, there are different people that have their own preferences. Uh, one popular is the uh, Watec Ultima. Um, it's a, I'm trying to remember the uh, model number, 905 or 903H, um, but it's um, a video camera that's been popular um, that continues to be um, popular. Um, but there's actually a variety of video cameras that are out there right now that are suitable to the task. Okay. Probably Orion Scientific or someplace would have cameras that would work as well. Right. Okay. How many current contributors do you have on any given event? Um, I have, uh, right now I have a handful. Um, there's uh, a group that's uh, in Europe that's been active um, observing. We call them the Swiss Italian Group. Um, and they have been um, rather active in observing. They report um, a few times a year um, impact events, and I usually um, share that with the uh, rest of the world through the website. Um, and I do have occasionally, I had, have had people that have been active in the past, which I haven't heard from um, in a while. So people come and people go, but it's usually a small number of people that um, are um, at least somewhat active. Yeah, so that's, that's, yeah, talking to all the section leaders, it seems like there's a core yeah. All of them that do a lot, and then people will, like you said, come in and out over a period of time. Right. Interesting. Um, is there any professional or amateur collaboration in your section? Um, I am collaborating with, uh, there's actually a, a group at NASA, Marshall Space Flight Center, um, that have been doing this professionally since 2005, and they um, have a um, um, they have a um, call out to amateurs to uh observe the moon to help in support uh, of their observations, um, to confirm observations. Um, it may it may be cloudy at some point um, at their um, observing station, and so they ask others to um, keep an eye on the moon um, for them. Or if um, uh, amateurs are videotaping the moon um, and they get an impact and need a, need a confirming observation, um, then the people at Marshall Space Flight Center might be able to confirm that. Um, so that's one professional collaboration is the Meteoroid Environment Office at uh, NASA Marshall Space Flight Center. And then there's a, um, um, a, profession, a professional astronomer in Spain, um, Jose Madiedo, um, whom I have been collaborating with a little bit. Um, he actually had observed an event that was the brightest such recorded event so far back in September of 2013. That's, so that's, he does this professionally. Mm-hmm. This, this this section really interests me because uh, a lot of amateur astronomers have telescopes out there and mm-hmm. and they've done their observing and they're you know in their late 50s early 60s and things mm-hmm. like that and they're looking for something to do with them right and, and here is a program that what which is why I love planetary astronomy it's dynamic mm-hmm. you know the, the planets don't look the same every night you know the, the moon looks differently hour by hour just the shadows right. on the moon and here's mm-hmm. something where you can actually see a change to the lunar or a possible change to the lunar surface through a meteoroid impact right that's amazing to me that's that's really cool and for those listeners out there they're looking for something to do with their telescope this sounds like something fun to do and i'm sure there's downtime but 
the rewards are when you do record an object. Right. This is true. So I do plan um, right now. Um, one of the, the things that are that are on my to do list is to update the Alpo website with some new materials, some new guidelines, some new equipment um, checklists, and and so forth. And there's also links from that website from out from the Alpo website to other websites. Uh, there's a handful of other websites of people that are doing this regularly as well, and personal observers. Um, that you can that you can look at as well, um, but I do plan to um, upgrade the um, Alpo website um, later in the year um, to have um, more um, recent and relevant information to include um, new equipment setup schemes and so forth. So hopefully it, be, it will be something that will be more helpful to uh, people that are looking for something new and different and unique to do in astronomy. That sounds great. Now, if you have any links that you want added to this uh, podcast, I could put them in the show notes, and as people listen to this, they can click on a file down below, and it will list all the different links that we talk about on here. Right. Great, great, great. Yep. Um, you talked about um, um, with, with the uh, L-Cross booster that uh, water vapor was seen coming up from the moon as a discovery. Have there been other discoveries based upon uh, meteor impacts on the moon? Um, I haven't, I'm not aware of any um, other water vapor type, um, but I, I know that there were at least um, one or two, maybe a handful of craters um, that have been correlated with uh, impact flashes um, that um, the Lunar Reconnaissance Orbiter um, has observed. Now, the LRO um, has actually um, observed um, about two dozen or so really fresh craters that have happened since the uh, mission started in 2009-2010. And so now the challenge is to correlate those with um, impact flashes that are seen from the ground. Oh, wow. That would be fun to do. Has there been success in that yet? Um, There's been a couple. There's been maybe one or two flashes that I'm aware of that have been correlated with um, impact craters, and naturally, naturally that would be only the brightest flashes, which would represent the largest impacts that would, of course, produce the largest and more easily found craters. Uh, but the problem, the, the, the main challenge, I should say, with that is that the um, impact flash image um, covers, um, the, the image is not a point, but it's a, um, like a, a little blob that covers uh, dozens of square kilometers on the lunar surface of so trying to pinpoint where the exact center to correlate that very low resolution image versus the very high resolution image of the lunar reconnaissance orbiter, and to identify with certainty that that this yeah this is the crater is very challenging. Yeah, because I imagine when you're imaging the moon, you want as much of it in the field of view as possible. Right on the dark side, so you're not using high magnification, so your pixels are really being affected there as well. Right. Yeah, right. so that's yeah, that's one of the. But I mean, just still seeing something would give them, not quite a smoking gun, but pretty close to it. For for but an there's impact. Still, yeah, there's still a lot of value in uh, recording these impacts too, because then we'll, along with the uh, counts of very new craters on the moon and other um, approaches, we can get a census of the uh, small um, debris that um, exists in inter- interplanetary space near the Earth-Moon system. Hmm. Do you guys publish your observations somewhere? Um, I usually publish them on Alpo, and I have published a couple of papers in uh, referee journals early on, um, early, about 10 or so years ago. When, when, you, say, first, when you say Alpo, do you mean the journal of the Alpo? 
Um, I did a, I did publish in the Journal of the ALPO, and I've also published in a journal called Planetary and Space Science. Oh, the um, the Lunar Observer, TLO. Yeah, yeah TLO. Um, I think yeah, I've uh, published a couple of couple uh, couple of times in there a while ago. Okay, so if people want to find references, these are some places to look. Mm-hmm. Great. Um, anything else you want to add about the section? Oh, we can always use more observers. Sounds like so, it. I might be I, strapping my video camera on my telescope and taking a look. <laughs> right. So, um, as, as I said later in the year, I do plan to um, um, upgrade the uh, website um, so that um, um, we'll, we'll consider more modern equipment, more modern setups, um, and um, more. Uh, it will be more useful um, to people, especially beginning beginners um, who want to get into this. Serious beginners. Who want to get into this um, will have guidelines um, and links to um, resources that people can use in order to get more information, um, not only about observing these things, but also what goes on, you know, the physics behind the uh, meteoroid impacts, uh, craters, different kinds of craters, and so forth. That would, that would be great. Please let us know when you do that. Now, yeah. you, you mentioned that you'll have you want to send out alerts too when people could do some observing. This podcast, most of the recordings I've done so far, most of the podcasts I've done so far have been pretty not time sensitive, where people can listen to them at any time because we don't talk about and the only like the only one we've had so far has been on the total solar eclipse. That's the only mm-hmm. one that's been time sensitive. I mean, people could drop this in two years and listen to it and learn about your section. So if you do have alerts that you want somebody to go out to, this is another vehicle you can go to because we can put together a podcast in 10 minutes and mm-hmm. you can talk about it say, hey, on this time period, I need people to be looking at the moon. This is what you right. expect to see. This is the equipment I need. So please get a hold of them if you ever want to do anything like that. And we oh, can okay. put a quick podcast together and get it out there to the hundreds of thousands of people that are listening. Okay. All right. All right, sounds good. All right, now, Brian, how could everybody get a hold of you? Um, they can um, send me an email um, either at um, bmcudnik at pvamu.edu um, or bmcudnik at gmail.com. I will put both those in the show notes because I'm sure no one wrote them down. That way they can click right. on them. Now, are you on Twitter or Facebook or anything as well? Um, I do Facebook, um, but I usually don't use Facebook for the Alpo stuff. I just it's just personal stuff. Okay, not a problem. Well, Brian, mm-hmm. I really want to thank you for coming on the podcast today. All right, you're welcome. All right, we'll talk to you later. All right, talk to you later. Well, that'll do it for this episode of the Observer's Notebook. I again want to thank Brian Kudnick coming on to talk about the Lunar Meteoric uh, Impact Search Program. That sounds very interesting. I think I might begin doing that. Uh, We upload a new episode of the Observer's Notebook every few weeks. You can subscribe to us on iTunes. If you do, please rate and review us. I do appreciate it. You can also listen to us on SoundCloud. The link is in the show notes. And we're available just about anywhere you can listen to a podcast. You can help support the podcast by donating to it via Patreon. You can give $1 a month, $5 a month, $15 a month. If you feel like giving so much as $35 a month, you'll receive one year's membership to the ALPO and producer credits on the podcast. And with that, I'd like to thank the producer of this podcast, Steve Seidentop, for his continued 
continued support of the Observer's Notebook. Thanks a lot, Steve. The link for Patreon as well as the link for the ALPO is in the show notes. You can contact me via email at cometman at cometman.net or on Twitter at at ObserversNBPod. You can find the ALPO at www.alpo-astronomy.org, where you can find out about our membership information. Membership begins at only $14 a year. We're also on Facebook, ALPO Astronomy, or Observer's Notebook. Just type it in on the search field. The ALPO is an international organization devoted to the study of the sun, moon, planets, asteroids, meteors, and comets. Our goals are to stimulate, coordinate, and generally promote the the study of these bodies using methods and instruments that are available within the communities of both amateur and professional astronomers. Until next time, my hope is you always have clear and steady skies. Thank you for listening.